0: Hello, you're listening to the HRD Live podcast. This conversation with Dan Shawbell, New York Times bestselling author and managing partner of Workplace Intelligence, was recorded remotely from our homes on July 2nd, 2020, during the coronavirus lockdown, and as a result, the audio quality may fluctuate slightly from time to time. We had a wonderful conversation about HR's role in the post-pandemic world, taking in flexible working, business responsibility, loneliness, mental health, and much more besides. Enjoy the podcast. Dan Shorebell. welcome to the podcast.
1: Happy to be here.
0: So first things first, Dan, I'd really like to get a sense of uh, how you've found businesses responding to the lockdown um, and and the and the global pandemic generally. What have you felt have been positive responses, and perhaps what have you seen that's not been so positive?
1: I think all this comes down to communication and a leader that people can trust, and those are connected, right? So if you're communicating to workers that you need to furlough them and then give them an approximate time of maybe when you might rehire them, even if you aren't certain about that and you have to keep pushing the goalposts, it instills a level of trust and safety and security that will be very positive and help your brand moving forward because the way in which you treat people, any stakeholder, customers, employees, um, that is gonna stay with you after the pandemic and so what I've noticed from companies that are are handling this right is they take you know the CDC policies procedures and and guidelines they take what you know because this is not just about the CDC it's also about you know how governors in different states in America or you know in in different countries are reacting because if you live in Massachusetts versus Texas versus you know um, Colorado your experience is going to be slightly different in terms of the state laws and how companies, therefore, are going to react to it. But overall, I see that most have a phased approach and a set of guidelines that include social distancing and, um, and restrictions in terms of number of people in a physical space. So it could be a restaurant, it could be a bar, but in a physical space in the workplace means that fewer people in elevators, few, fewer people in open offices and And I think we have a real problem in the office, too, because 80 percent of offices globally are open offices. And of course, that is not very safe in today's climate. So one of the big predictions that I have is that I think more offices will be flexible and more closed off for safety reasons, because we could have a pandemic in the future. And I think that we need to adjust now to ensure that we don't have those issues. And I think the other thing that's being invested in now is contact tracing. And and uh, you know obviously hand sanitizer and masks in the office. So I think whether you walk into an office space, whether you walk into a restaurant, we're going to get used to this behavior across the board. And so I think that you know because corporate leadership has to abide by the same rules as anyone, right? In the sense that you know, kind of we're all in this together. We all have to make these sacrifices and take these precautions. I think that it's going to be, it could be a hard transition at first. In fact, I just did a poll and, you know, you know, most people are just not very comfortable going back into the office. So I think in order to still trust, uh, leaders need to communicate and, and uh, assure workers that what they're going to be walking into is going to pass the CDC test and state guidelines.
0: That's really interesting. There, there are a few things I think to unpack there. Um, one thing you mentioned around flexible offices is really interesting because I think, as you say, it, it, it could take different forms. There could be um, a kind of phased approach in terms of some people coming at sometimes. That you have, I've heard you have red team, blue team kind of setups with people operating in a different way in terms of coming into the physical office. Um, you've talked a lot before about. Um, the the effect on things like communication in terms of having open office spaces and 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 that sort of thing um what kind of effect do you think we can expect from having this new approach to being in the physical office if if people are being kept apart and distance in this way what's at risk do you think is there some way that we think that communication could be could be really damaged as a result in teams and perhaps from leadership down as well
1: well i think there's always going to be a risk when we're in physical spaces it's not like it's not like if you wear a mask, there's 0% chance that you can contract the virus. So we don't know how that's going to play out, but I think that what we, what, what is interesting is that there's a big gap, especially in cities in terms of demographics of who's going back to the office spaces. So I've been talking to big companies, small companies, um, and a lot of companies are keeping their staff remote or they're going to have fewer people in the physical spaces. But while I do believe there's going to be a lot of relocation for cost savings, because you know millennials, there's 80 million in America, you know they're at a time when th- their adulthood is caught up to them. They're having kids. They're they need more space. They want to save money, and various other reasons. Um, but recent college graduates who are suffering in their own way, and you know, so anywhere from 22 to like let's say 25, 26 years old, over time. Year in and year out, they want to move into cities and work in physical office spaces. That's why so many companies had invested in office spaces within those cities. And so they're actually starting to, even the smaller companies are starting to invest in larger spaces, larger So basically at the same time where I think commercial real estate and just real estate in general and leases are going to decline, there is going to be a percentage that invest more in the spaces because we need more distance between each other. So I think this is another kind of phenomenon that I didn't see coming up until late. And and I think that, I think you can't have a small space anymore. So that's a big challenge. Like think about, think about like a WeWork. The way WeWork ha- has it is you might get a office for five people and that's gonna cost you, I don't know, like $2,500 a month or 3,000 a month. You can't really have that space anymore because everyone's on top of each other and it's small. So does that mean you only have one or two people working from there or you, or you just don't renew your lease and you have people working remote. So there's so many implications. And the thing that I've learned the most over the past three plus months is it's varied. We can talk about this more generally, but there's so many permutations. There's three economies. There's the remote work economy, the unemployed economy, and the essential worker economy. But within those, you have people who have children. You have people who have older or younger children. You have single mothers. You have entrepreneurs. You have CEOs, or you have you know entry-level workers. You have interns. You have, I mean, we can go on and on and on. There's just so many different. You have people who have more or less income, right? You have people who live in different states or different countries. And all of these are factors in terms of your experience and how you operate and the type of office you're going to be in, different companies, different industries. So it's, it's become harder every month to make bigger generalizations uh, because people ha- are having all these different experiences and therefore it is challenging for a leader to take into account all of them all these situations. So I think what leaders can do is is, is really empathize and like work through this by having more communication, not less, having their managers step up and, and really listen to their employees and and really figure out what people are going through. Because how are you supposed to operate in a world where you don't really understand what each individual employee is dealing with, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and that's why flexibility, you know, I've been talking about flexibility since the beginning of my career. I mean, like I had a study that was the work flexibility study like seven or eight years ago. Right. And flexibility, everyone now thinks flexibility is remote work. Right, flexibility means remote work, and it's not true. It's flexibility is like thinking about an individual situation and trying to make it flexible because maybe they have a kid they want to drop off in the morning, or maybe they work more effectively at eight o'clock at night rather than eight in the morning. So it's really taking into account not just how old this person is or location, but like custom to their preferences, like what we, how do they work best, and what responsibilities do they have, and then enabling and empowering them to work in a way in which they can be most effective but at the same time support the company of and course. achieve results so it's this delicate balance but i see that the the good thing that's happened over the past three and a half months is we already had a lot of people globally working remote right i was i you know i'm an entrepreneur i've been working remote for over 10 years remote work was there right what the pandemic has done is it's poured gasoline on a lot of the trends that we've been talking about for years, right? It's accelerated remote work, remote learning, remote interviewing. A lot of these things that we've seen happening, most of which are using technology in some way, technologies powered all of these tools, all these approaches to human capital management mm-hmm. have been accelerated significantly, uh, which and there are many things in, in that, a sense that could was be- said that Sorry, go on there. Which, which could be a good thing, right? But there's pros and cons to everything. Like we were saying, we had been talking about, Michael, is like, yes, now with the acceptance of remote work, right? The, the stigma is clearly gone out of, in a sense, necessity. Yeah. Uh, if you live in Idaho, you can compete for a job in Silicon Valley with Google. In the sense, where, whereas you would have to relocate in order to take that job six months ago. Right, (laughs) Right. But at the same time, now there's more competition for that job because when you open the talent pool up to people living everywhere in the world, the pipelines become bigger, harder to manage and more competitive for the individual, which means at the same time this is all happening, the investments in technology, namely you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence. And I think that for the cost of VR headsets will continue to decline. There'll be more investment in it because the goal is one, you know, opening up the talent pool, right? Now there's more of an emphasis on diversity you know, with all the stuff going on in society yeah. with the Supreme Court rulings and, 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 you know, all the bad things happening and civil unrest, et cetera. And because we're paying attention to diversity much more, the emphasis on using technology to broaden the talent pool, and now with the acceptance of remote work, truly broaden it. Recruit from more schools. Recruit from more countries. Recruit from, you know, uh, you know, very different communities, regardless of race, class, you know, gender, etc. If we can get this artificial intelligence and technology working together and being more effectively effective, then this increased talent pool companies will be able to handle that and still siphon it down to people that they can interview in person or you know, on Zoom or whatnot, and then choose candidates. So I think that with the increased talent pool, especially because it's a buyer's market and now companies are more willing to recruit globally because people don't have to relocate as much, mm-hmm. the, tech- the investment in technology is going to accelerate because the investment in technology needs to meet this larger talent pool in order to take this larger talent pool and siphon it down to fewer candidates to make it more manageable.
0: There's, there's so much <laughs> to dive into there. There was, there was a few things I wanted to talk to you about, but something you just said around the, the kind of the, this has changed now in terms of the flexibility um, that, the that, that talent expects now coming into, coming into business and, and, and working, but it seems like there are some things which for a while businesses were saying, Oh, we can't do this because it's not the way it's done. And now, clearly the whole time that was that was the case regardless of what industry you're in there are so many things which clearly could have been done remotely using technology before but clearly there's the the onus now is on businesses to respond to that and to to enable that kind of flexibility what are the barriers there to doing so do you think and how hard is it going to be because for a lot of businesses maybe that's not easily viable or or, or might not be at the top of their agenda for for whatever reason how do you think that response is going to work is it going to be really tough do you think?
1: The thing that comes to mind first is without a physical space and with me more people working remote, it's harder to build a culture because space is an element of culture. When you're in a physical space, you can see, hear, smell, it's part of the experience. You know, mm-hmm. walking over and talking to an employee, like, you know, using a whiteboard in an office, like that's part of your experience. And so once you eliminate space. It's harder to get a full sense of what a company is about. And so I think the biggest obstacle is onboarding. Right. I think onboarding is extremely hard right now. So, recruiting, yes, video interviewing, we had that before. Um, You know, I think video interviewing can be very effective. And I think that all this new technology that, you know, can, you know, get a sense of your facial expressions and then match that up with candidates that were effective and hired before and all this, you know, facial recognition mm-hmm. and whatnot. I think that's all interesting. I think the use of gamification, you know, a little bit more and more of a virtual reality, like I said before, I think there'll be more investments in that because really the goal, part of the goal of recruiting is to close the experience gap. So there's an experience okay. gap between not working at a company and then working at a company. And through VR, through all these technologies, it's almost like you work there without working there. And, and therefore you as a job seeker can make a better decision about who you work with and work for and then an employer can leverage all that to filter the better candidates out because if a job seeker doesn't feel like they would fit in the culture based on you know putting on a VR headset and get a getting an experience of what that would look like, then it's uh, they're less likely to apply or move forward and therefore they they help the company choose better people who would fit in more. But again, like if you eliminate space, a physical office space, then like putting on a VR headset to, you know, what is that going to really do for you if in normal times putting it on, you get a sense of what that cubicle would look like that you'd be working in and what that office would look like. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is another challenge that that companies will have is how do we create this experience? How do we improve the recruiting process without space? And I think companies that start right now, so this is always an advantage. Like right now, if you start and you're remote only, then you don't have that issue as much. Whereas if you've built a 80 year, you know, a company that's been around for 80 years and now now you're magically remote, that's going to be a problem. And here's the other thing too, that people won't talk about. So a lot of the companies that had, or were trying remote work and then went back to bring people to the office, like, you know, Best Buy is a great example from years and years ago. They were like early adopters of the remote workplace, right? Results mm-hmm. only workplace environment, um, and then they brought people back. Same with Yahoo. Why did they bring people back? A few few reasons that you know you, you might not find elsewhere is that they had new CEOs, and the CEOs used that time to bring people back to the office place to get people on board. To have to have a a sense of control and empowerment, and to to bring people into the culture and develop almost a new culture to evolve the culture, right? But the other thing that doesn't get talked about is it was a way to fire people, right? Because if you don't want to work remote, if you don't want to work in a corporate office, of course, that becomes part of your criteria. And if you look at all the research coming out now, working remote—you know—it used to be it used to be not even thought of really, you know, it used to be benefit like, you know, salary, you know, healthcare coverage, learning and development opportunities, retirement benefits, like, you know, all of those flexibility is like towards the top now. And in fact, I saw this trend happening between 2014 and 2016 with young people. Mm. 2014 led a study with Randstad and we found that flexibility, I believe was number two or or three in terms of their, their criteria for searching for a job. 2016, which is four years ago, flexibility was number one over healthcare coverage. Wow. And this is after the 2008 recession. So, like the fact that, you know, healthcare coverage is very expensive, the fact that flexibility was that valuable, the fact that people would take a pay cut to have flexibility tells you a lot in terms of what people are up against now, preferences. Um, and so, I, I think that. I just remember when I was working for a big company, you know, in graduation, after I graduated college, I was the first social media worker. And I was like, can I work remote? And they said, no, you'll make everyone else jealous. So <laughs> take uh-huh. that right now of what I just said and compare it to today. I mean, no, one's going to say that. Today. Now it's like, Oh, okay. I get it. But I think really what's happened in the way in which so I can almost compare it to like, you know, celebrities and, and like big figureheads have, talk, have talked openly about mental health and that's lowered the stigma. So now people are more comfortable talking about mental health, which mm-hmm. is significant. I and mean, you'll see a lot from that for me in the next year or so. Um, I also see that with remote work. There was stigma. Oh, you work remote. You're like not working as hard. You're lazy. Like they picture Homer Simpson, you know, sitting on a couch, are <laughs> watching TV while maybe doing, maybe no, on no, no. Panel, right? Like not being <laughs> serious about work. But now I think that stigma is wiped out and it's a good thing for remote workers. Um, the most fascinating thing that's happened over the past few months is I've always thought this, I've always thought that if you work in the office, you're, you have a, I've always thought that if you work in an office, you have a competitive advantage over remote workers because uh, senior leadership can see you, they can hear you, you can build more trusting relationships with them. Early research in my career found that yes, when promoting executives choose favorites over non-favorites and a lot of those favorites work in, in a physical space with them, Right. always thought that. And then I started having calls in the past few months and executives were like, well, I, 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 I give more preference to remote workers. And so I did a whole poll around this. And in fact, re- people would rather promote remote workers than office workers it was really mind-blowing that's fascinating Um, and what they said was is because they're more self-directed
0: that's really interesting that um that soft skill i suppose now just coming massively to the fore as opposed to that into the connectivity being self-driven in that way now i suppose it's a kind of well i suppose it's looking forward thinking what's going to be beneficial now in the future right it's people who have that ability to be self-contained in a way that that's absolutely fascinating there there was something else you said that i wanted to come to you you said how you're directing some folks now towards mental health and, and talking about that and I noticed in in some interviews that you've done and previous things that you've talked about is the relationship between technology and the the overuse of that and loneliness and a kind of lack of empathy and how there's you know that people describe millennials as this l- the loneliest generation in that way you know because of this over reliance on technology. Do you think that this increased use of of um, remote working technologies and methods of communication could compound a kind of a kind of loneliness or I- increase things like presenteeism perhaps in in people who are who who are working remotely and because that could have a really detrimental effect on people's mental health en masse. How do you think that might might occur?
1: Yeah, mental health was a problem before the pandemic, and it's a bigger problem now. So Mm. hundreds of millions of people globally suffer from mental health issues, right? And now with the pandemic and the corresponding recession, soon in America we're going to have evictions, some more homelessness, uh, you know, and then the civil unrest that's happened over the past, you know, month total chaos, total suffering. That's, you know, you have a lot of people in the healthcare world that are going to have PSD from this and just not even in the healthcare world, people who have lost their parents, their siblings, you know, maybe even a coworker that's going to affect them long term. So I think mental health, I think the two most, the two most important words for the next decade when it comes to the workplace or in culture are mental health. I think that's that's the next decade for you is mental health because people are going to be suffering from this moving forward. Plus there's going to be more spotlight on it. And I think that I think companies are going to be on the hook more so than they ever were about mental health. And so you, as an example, a few companies that I would say have done a decent job catering to or supporting mental health is uh, companies like Starbucks, you know, all employees at Starbucks get, access to, I think, 20 hours of free therapy, virtual therapy now. Um, but they already had a lot of other things like access to you know mm. health apps, mental health apps, and mindfulness apps. So I think that Starbucks, Chipotle, there's many companies that are starting to invest in mental health programs. You know, Chase Bank, they have a whole website dedicated to it. From a corporate perspective, it's in their employee assistant program, but more investment will be on mental health problems. And going back to what you said before, yes, I believe that remote work can lead to more mental health problems. But again, it's it's complicated, right? Like if you live with a spouse, you're gonna be less lonely. If you have kids at home, you might, you're might you gonna be less lonely, but other issues will arise. Like you might be stressed, you might be burned out. Um, so a little bit less about loneliness, but more maybe about burned out and, and stress that leads to mental health problems. And I've always said that everyone had always talked about the light side of working remote. But my book, Back to Human, exposed the dark side. So the light side is you get the freedom and flexibility to work when, where, and how you want. But the hidden dark side that people didn't want to talk about but felt was isolation and loneliness, right? From not seeing and hearing people in person for a given period of time. And I think what's really fascinating about technology is it it unearths our basic human instincts. We are humans, we're tribal, we want to connect with people, that is part of what makes us fulfilled and happy in our lives. And all this technology, it's the more we're using technology, the more we want that. And as a great example, look at all of these people who are saying, I can't handle wearing a mask anymore, or I just want to mm-hmm. go out to a bar or a restaurant or in the street or, or in a park. It's because they're forced to, like they need to, there's an inherent need for it right? It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like love and friendship is right there, you know, mm-hmm. towards the middle of the pyramid after food, you know, and, and shelter. And so I think, I think we're, we're, we have to get be around people, but the problem is being around people too early can spread the virus as well and can make us further isolated. So it's, there's, um it's kind of like a clash going on right now in terms of people feeling the, like they need to get out there, but there's also repercussions by them getting out there. And that's really what's really complicated. Mm-hmm. There, there's something really interesting as well, I think, in that there's that isolation piece,
0: of course, and people kind of working remotely and being alone. But also, I think work now and, and the role of HR as an extension of that extends so much more into the private life and the private space of a person, of somebody working in a company, that the, the blurring of life and work,
1: as they, as they describe it. Your you know, home is your spread. work.
0: Yeah, your home pers- is your
1: workplace, and your work is yeah. your
0: home. Precisely, right? So that division isn't there anymore. And I think if you are struggling with 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 mental health issues, perhaps as a result of work, perhaps not, but. Those There isn't this division anymore where you go to one place to work and be a certain kind of person and then another place to be, okay, I'm the other person now. So clearly there's a greater onus on, on businesses, uh, business leadership and HR to support the mental health
1: of people. Yeah, I do life, like right? this, though. I I think that this is one good thing that comes out of it is you can just be you. Like, I don't think, exactly. people, I don't think people are like, oh, I want to be, you know, uh, Ben or Jane, like, the mom and Ben and Jane, the worker. And I think they just want to be themselves and then transfer who they are to what they're doing rather than God, I have to act this way in this situation, in this situation. And we've always had to do that. And I think there's a whole movement of like, bring your human to work, is like bring your full self to work, Uh, just be yourself. Uh, And I think that's the big, that'll always be your biggest differentiator. But I think more so now it's like, you know, how much can you change who you are when you know, your wife or husband is like three feet from you. So oh, I, cool. I, I don't think that's a, I actually don't think that's a bad thing. And I think that if people had concerns or issues around that in the past, it's more normalized now, which, which is good. So like everything else is good and bad. That is going to come out of everything. Right. right. I think, but I, And I think there's a scale of who's going to suffer more or less during this. And I think the best thing that organizations can do is make sure that during this period of time, you're communicating, you're getting as much feedback and data as possible to make good decisions. And then you're setting up the future because this we, we could be in this you know, for a long time, or there could be a pandemic in four or five or six years from now. And so many companies did not have remote work policies or strong employee assistance programs before this pandemic time to create, you know, these disaster recovery programs and policies, employee system programs, remote work policies, get all this together. Because if we we go through this again, you'll be much more prepared. And so we don't want to um, make the same mistakes of the past. We have to take this seriously now, because that is the best way to set up the future.
0: I think that's a perfect note to end on, Dan. I think we can keep talking for quite a long time. Lastly, uh, before I let you go, um, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with the HR leaders listening in terms of maybe who are trying to make the most out of this scenario and going forward, how they can really make this beneficial for their businesses and for their people?
1: Yeah, you know what's really fascinating? I was, at the beginning of this, I'm like, okay, well, the first people who are let go, this is what I've always thought, to be honest, and I've catered to the HR industry for a long time the first people to let go, like HR, a lot of HR professionals are going to be let go. And actually it wasn't the case at all. In fact, what happened in the more conversations I had is there was so much more of an emphasis on HR people and executives to take a leadership role. And to get any of them on the phone became so much harder, meaning that they were busy, which is a good sign. And that they they had more of a presence in their organization and employees you know, because you talk to employees, like I've talked to a lot of my friends, of course, and peers, and and they're like, uh, we're uneasy about going to HR people with issues because we're afraid that, you know, we're going to get laid off or there will be repercussions, right? But I think that now, at least in this period of time, they're less afraid and they and they see the value more because HR has created this stronger presence. So like, it's like the politicians who in a more positive way have been out there more have been rewarded and are are favored i think hr is is getting a lot of that uh those positive feelings and sentiments now because they've been out there out of necessity and there's been more of a an emphasis on their job and you know if you're in the hr world now like this is your time like i remember i remember like a few weeks into this people were like damn this is your time like this is This is historic, like you should be out there. And I'm like, yeah, I'm always out there. I've been doing this for forever, it feels, since 2006. (laughs) So I'm not gonna avoid this period of time. This is the most interesting period of time that we're living in because things are shifting so fast that you have to be paying attention seven days a week. And I've been doing that anyway. So it's been, uh, I think it's still expect the unexpected too. So prepare for the worst so that you'll be set up for success in the best times.
0: Dan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, Hopefully we can have you on again very soon.
1: You got it. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the HRD Live podcast with Dan Shawbell. Remember to subscribe via your preferred podcast channel for new episodes every week and head over to hrdconnect.com for essential insights into the future of work every day. See you next time.